Honestly, this last week, this last week has been very busy for me. Well, most of you know that I work for the Milwaukee Rescue Mission, and something we do every summer is called City Camp. And so this last week, I invited the 15 staff I hired this last spring for the summer to our North Campus, and we've been prepping for everything that entails the city camp, which is it's five weeks long. We have 150-plus kids with us every day, Monday through Friday, from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. The mornings are all academic. The afternoons are all recreational. And so on Fridays, we take field trips. So I've been getting them to get on board with our program structure, going over roles and responsibilities, getting class rooms ready and making sure that they have everything that they need for the coming weeks. And so that starts Monday morning, tomorrow. So I am so ready for that. But every morning that uh, we had met this last week, I bring two things. First of which is always energy. I will be the loudest. I will be the most running around, always in the classroom, always in our team meetings, because that's whatever I have in me. I have this energy. So I try to bring that. I'm not a morning person, but when I'm on site, it's game on. And so I bring energy, but something I also brought is devotions. Start off with the team every morning in the Word. And so honestly, those devotions are just based on what's on my heart for that morning, based on what I read in my own personal devotions for that day. And so as I was preparing these lessons for the group all last week, every day I felt like God was speaking the same message to my heart. So one day I was teaching on the salt of the earth passage. That salt brings flavor. It, it always makes things better. It intensifies things. That salt preserves items for us. Salt has healing properties. And, and lastly, and most powerfully in my perspective, was that salt drives thirst. And so just like salt, Christians should have those four qualities. And so I, I'm like, okay, Lord, I delivered that message. And then the next one was that faith without works is dead. And I'm like, man, Lord, what are you, what are you trying to say to me? There, there's something going on here. And so this is what God was saying to my heart. He was saying there's purpose in how he's called us to live. There's purpose in how he's called us to live. It's not just for our own salvation so that we can make it to heaven and ultimately be uh, in glory with him. It's not just for that, but it's so that others might believe in his name too. It's so that others can meet the same Jesus that you know and love and know and love him in that same way. And so I thought to myself, if I'm not driving others to love Jesus Christ the way I do or greater, what am I? If I'm not driving others to be self-sacrificing, to point everyone else to the king, what worth do I have here if he's told me that's what my worth is? If I'm not doing it, I'm not valuable. And I say all that because we're going to conclude the first chapter of Philippians today. And the topic is conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I don't think that's any coincidence. I mean, at city camp, in our classrooms, right now there's about 30 kids per classroom. That is plenty of enough. Plenty of you educators know that 30 in one room with a staff member, that is kind of like torture. But in the classrooms, 100% the success depends on the strength of the pair that is in there, the strength of their leadership, how in sync they are to teach our children. And so if our city camp team is not on the same page within the classroom, within the group, and as the camp as a whole, then the camp is absolutely going to crumble. The kids won't have any structure. Plans are going to fall through. Bad behavior is going to fly off the charts. Staff's going to get frustrated and burn out. And ultimately, ultimately, at the end of the summer, the kids will not have experienced Jesus Christ in the way that I really, really am praying that they do. God wasn't just challenging my heart for city camp at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission. 
He wasn't just challenging me to bring that word to the staff I hired or even the students. He was preparing Root River Church for that same message today. So when I was in my Bible study, everything was coinciding, and I absolutely took it as from God. So before we get into the passage for today, I want to challenge you on a few things. I want to challenge you to open your hearts, right? We come to church for a purpose, and it's not just to say that we got here. But I want to challenge you to be honest with yourself about your good and your bad. I want to challenge you to be honest about what you need to change and what you don't need to change. I want you to let the Holy Spirit use your relationship with God to mold how you leave Root River Church this morning, June 23rd. Not this year, not this month, not this week. How are you going to choose to leave Root River Church this morning? But before we get to it, I would love to pray that over you. Can we do that? Father God, thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. I pray, Lord, that as we unpackage this message from Paul to the Philippian church, that we would be honest with ourselves, that we would open our hearts to hear everything that you would have to say, God, that it wouldn't just be a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge, that we would use everything that we learned today to be introspective, to self-sacrifice, to check on what's going on in our hearts and change moving forward. I pray that, Lord, in Jesus' name. We invite you here in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Scriptures, Philippians 1, 27 through 13. So what I'll do is I'll read the whole passage and then we'll get into it, okay? Verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Now that's a pretty fat passage, okay? But there's a lot of implications throughout the whole thing, but especially in that first verse, it's a long one, verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That sentence alone should pierce your heart. That sentence alone should be enough for you to say, I got to change my ways. You know where you're not conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. You know the truth about that. You can't hide those lies from yourself or from God. But that phrase, conduct yourself, I want to talk about that a little bit. In the New Testament, right? Paul wrote this book, but he wrote many other books in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Paul uses one particular Greek word, 32 times when mentioning Christian conduct. He uses that same word over and over and over. And it's the typical and standard use that you might think to live or to walk. It's a plane. So at first glance, it might read only live or walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And at first glance, this might sound like a great lesson. But here, Paul uses something totally different. As far as Christian conduct, he uses a new word. And this different word he uses is derived from another word that means one's native city. One's native city. It's translated literally to live as a citizen. So in that sentence, it reads best as conduct yourselves as citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, in my study, here's what we can learn about the Philippian church. They were a Roman colony. They had status. It came with status. It required a little bit of loyalty. There were rules and guidelines that they had to follow. And surely they had a sense of nationalism. But this change in writing could absolutely resonate with the Philippian people because Paul does this on purpose because he uses the word 
because he knows that they're going to associate it to their Roman citizenship. And so it's very possible that their deep civic pride in their Roman citizenship was getting in the way of true Christian living. But Paul isn't just saying, be a citizen, just be a citizen in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he's saying to this church is, remember who you belong to. Remember who your king is. Remember that you're first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So Root River Church, I want to challenge you with the same thing that Paul is challenging the Philippian church. Remember who your king is. Remember that you're first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of heaven, not of Franklin, not of Wisconsin, not of Greendale or the surrounding communities, not even of the United States of America, but more than all, the kingdom of heaven. That is where you belong. Church, there is distractions in this world. There are pressures in this world to walk and talk a certain way, to believe in things good and evil, believe in things of God and not God, and to defend things that society alone values. Those pressures exist, and you know them. Paul wanted to make sure the Philippian church was staying on task. Remember what we talked about weeks ago, why he wrote this letter. He's in chains and he's reminding them the gospel is the goal. And no matter I'm in chains or not, it's still being advanced. So press on. Paul wrote this letter for that very purpose. Remind yourselves what our true purpose on this earth is. So that's conduct yourselves. The next word I want to talk about is the word worthy. The word worthy that he uses is literally just suitable and in alignment. And so when I was kind of praying through that word, worthy, in alignment, I thought of one thing in Scripture. I'm sure there are many, but this is where my mind went. It's where Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew 10, 37 through 38. He says to them, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Paul spends the next few verses walking us through how we can do that. How we can conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So we can ask that question. Okay, Paul, if you're saying conduct ourselves in a manner worthy, what does that look like? So I'll read again verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving forward for the faith of the gospel. There's two things here. First of which is standing firm. Second of which is striving together. And I really like these two things because there's something I can identify with. It resonates well with me because my mind goes to fighting. My mind goes to football. So I think of the military, right? When, Saul used, Saul, when Paul's using these points, he's, he's using military language. So I picture a unit of soldiers that are side by side, protecting the man to his left and to the right with a large shield, prepared to defend, prepared to kill at every moment in any direction. First one, standing firm. That's defense. It's planting our feet, deeply rooted, unwilling to budge, unwilling to move backwards holding the ground that they've already established, understanding the consequences that if one person budges, the whole thing could crash. You can understand that death, death would be imminent if just one person fails. So no persons can fail. Second one, striving together. This is offense. 
This is doing something. This is pressing forward with the plan. This is marching forward inch by inch. This is reading the defense and designing new strategies and new plays to accomplish the goal. Always having the goal in mind. Church, the accuracy and discipline of the formations are crucial to victory. And so it is with our faith. Paul is calling us to be united with River Church as a group of people who is empowered to reflect who he is to others. We cannot be effective Christians if we are divided and undisciplined, if we are not a united front, if we do not agree on what the goal is in March and press forward together. Okay, when I was in high school, played football. And I was a lineman, obviously, because I'm a big boy. I can't run the ball, I can't catch the ball, can't throw the ball, but I can hit people. So that's nice. So of course I was a lineman. And as time went on, I gained enough favor with the team and enough skill barely to play on both sides of the ball. So that means I played on offense and defense. And most of the time I did not come out until I tapped my helmet and I was exhausted. Right? So we're at the whole hour and a half. I'm just running back and forth. And at some point I'm for sure getting exhausted. And I pair that with me being bad at remembering things. And just a small story for you. So I'm exhausted. And one play, very important, all the games are important to us, right? We're teenagers, so we never want to lose. So we're in the huddle. I'm exhausted. I'm like breathing heavy. They're calling the play, and I'm like, break. Clap my hands. Get to the line. Yeah, I already forgot the play. So (laughs) this is game over. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? I'm talking to the next person. What do I do? What do I do? Left or right? Forward or backwards? Do I drop to the ground? Like, what do I do? Well, sure enough, it was a sweep play to the right, which means quarterback hands it gets it to the running back who's way back here, and he's going to run all this way. So my job is to get my big behind off the line and go in front of him and hit the first guy I see so that he can go around. This is what happened. Hike. (laughs) And I run that way. I run that way. And sure enough, nobody's there to block And the guy gets creamed, and I feel like a total doofus. I'm on the other side of the field. I'm looking back. He's on the ground. They're yelling at me. The coach calls me out. Get out of the game. Okay. The worst part about that is the next day. So that's Friday nights. On Saturday mornings, we're required to go back to the school and watch film. So the worst part is like they call out those times when you're really bad and they see it on the big screen and they're just yelling at you in front of the whole team and the kids are poking at you and laughing at you and you're just super humble. Just take it because you don't want to run any laps or anything. But we have to be united if one person, if one person fails, we all fail. So we have this standing firm and striving forward, unified in one spirit. And this is what Paul mentions in the next verse. It's with this attitude, with this attitude, we press forward. Verse 28, do that in no way alarmed by your opponents which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. That phrase, in no way alarmed. This is fearlessness. This is not being afraid. This is staring death in the face and striving forward no matter what. And when I read that, I was like, I'm not always fearless. I'm not always unalarmed when things come my way. And I'd be willing to bet, River Church, that there's something that has gone on in your life, past, present, and surely future, that has alarmed you. Sometimes it startles you just a little bit and you get over it. Sometimes it lasts for years and it surprises you day in, day out, and it ruins your day. You see, fear cripples us sometimes. 
The devil uses fear to make sure you forget the play. Fear changes how we approach people. Fear changes how we approach situations. Some of us are non-confrontational. Some of you are way more confrontational than you need to be. Some of us take fear into our relationships, and it ruins them. And fear is truthfully often a main driving factor for how we live our lives. But it shouldn't be. Fear should not be in you, not one bit. Paul is saying, despite anything your opponents throw your way, you absolutely can remain strong. You can absolutely stand firm and you can be unafraid. That's what bold Christian living looks like. And what's crazy is that when you're able to maintain a consistent, unmovable posture, your enemies take notice. Paul says that it's a sign for you and a sign for them. For you, it's a reaffirmation of your obedience and your righteousness that you have in Christ. It's a sign of your unity that you're put together. See, the enemy is at work and you're withstanding. And so people will see that. God's grace has sustained you in all of your troubles and people will see that just like he has with Paul. He sustained Paul through everything that he went through. And it's supposed to be an encouragement to you that you're on the right path. For you, it's a sign that you have citizenship. Citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. But it's also a sign for others. For them, they're taking notice. They can't escape the greatness God is calling you to. The proof of their doom, the destruction he talks about, the proof of that destruction is not you as a Christian bashing unbeliever's sin. The proof of their demise is not you being theatrical or barking orders at them, talking down to them, casting judgment. It's certainly not talking trash on the battlefield. But the proof of their impending doom absolutely is this, equanimity. It's calmness. It's peace. It's your confidence and courage with foresight at Christ's incoming victory. When I was in high school, I got to box for like a year. And then I quit because I hated getting punched in the face. <laughs> I may be big, but I can't take a punch. The worst thing for me when we're sparring, right? We have our headgear on, our gloves, and we're in the ring and we're practicing is when you hit somebody with all of your power and they smile at you. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not hitting him again. I quit. I quit. I'm not doing that. Right? That's, that's kind of how I see this. You're getting hit in the face and we have a smile that we're taken care of. All of that also serves as a tool for witness. When others see the way you are, they can't deny that it's real. They can't deny that there's something else there helping you along. They see signs of destruction, of warning, and those signs of destruction and warning and incoming doom, impending doom, are supposed to be sending people in the opposite direction. You see, you see doom coming, you're like, why would I keep walking that way? That's coming at me. I'm going to turn my way and go the opposite direction. That's what that doom is supposed to do. But, but we have to be reminded, alongside with that church, there are eyes on us as Christians. Skeptical eyes, judgmental eyes. People are watching every move of the unit, every move of the battalion, every move of the football team. They're watching every move that you do and finding, trying to find inconsistencies. When I was thinking through all of this and doing my study, I felt so convicted of where I'm at. I had to change my way. I just started to tear up and start praying. I have to change my way. I have to change my way. I cannot keep doing what I'm doing or I'm going to find myself outside of the unit. But instead of showing people condemnation, Jesus says to us that they need to see us live the gospel fearlessly. People need to see us 
love others with a love that covers a multitude of sin. People need to see radical forgiveness from us when we're harmed. People need to see stability in the hardest times. People need to see and meet men like Brian Reynolds. We need to see that because it tells us that something is for real. They need to see churches agree on theology and agree on where to go and how to spread God's love. The people need to see all cultures and all backgrounds, all personalities and all peoples come together to model as one unit what citizenship in the kingdom of heaven looks like and why. It's either salvation or destruction for people. And we could change that for somebody. Verse 29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. The first word I want us to look at is that word granted. In Greek, the definition is multiple, to do something pleasant or agreeable to one, to give graciously, to pardon. So for to you, it has been pardoned for Christ's sake. I'm trying to figure out what that really means. And in the center of those definitions, it's all about He's forgiving, he's, he's granting, he's washing away. So if he's washing away things, it's so that we, one, not only believe in him, but two, suffer. Not only to believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. In the same way that God has granted us faith to believe, he has granted us the opportunity to suffer on his behalf. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel absolutely entails suffering. But we get this first part so wrong sometimes. Grace is not just mercy. It's not just forgiveness and love. Grace is not just providence. Grace is not keeping us in a bubble away from the evil in this world, but sustaining us in it. Suffering is a precious gift. And we have to receive that because it'll change our prayers from Lord, take this from me to Lord, help me get through it and shine your light. Paul added emphasis on this, but also to suffer for his sake. And if anybody knows this best, it's Paul. I'm not going to read it, but in 2 Corinthians, he talks about how he's going to boast. And it's like 40 verses long of him describing what he has sacrificed for the sake of the gospel. So he knows this best. He knows all about this precious gift. That's exactly why he wrote this letter, to show the Philippian church that. He's saying to them, you see what I've gone through. You see what God has done through it, and look at me, here I am. Whether I'm in chains or not, the gospel is being advanced. Expect that. You believers, expect that. Now, in this passage, verse 27 through 30, there's a word that we use as Christians, there's a word that's in the Bible, and it doesn't necessarily have a specific definition. And we haven't talked about it yet today. But it's all over the place in the Bible. It's written to us as if it's assumed that we know every detail about it. And we should, and we will, and we do, and we clarify it, you'll understand. But it's something we didn't go into detail when we passed it it in this passage, and it's the word gospel. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of what? The gospel of Christ. And, And so I would be ashamed of myself if today... At the end of my sermon, I have not described for you what gospel means and why we're supposed to conduct ourselves as citizens of kingdom of heaven in a manner worthy of that very thing we call gospel. Because I want to be explicitly clear 
that this whole passage is centered on it, that your whole existence on this earth is dependent on the accuracy and truth of it. It's why we remember who we belong to. It's why we remember where our citizenship really is, why we suffer as Christ did, why we stand firm and remain unified as the body of Christ. It's for this very reason that we do those things. So in my study, I was shown a compilation of everything Paul taught in his letter to the Philippians about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it takes all the verses from all four chapters and it puts together a concise description of what the gospel is and why it's so important. So I'm going to put it up and I'm going to read it to you. The gospel of Christ is the good news that Christ, who is equal with God, became a human being, obeyed God perfectly, died, rose again so that by union with him, all who believe will be counted righteous with Christ's righteousness slash obedience, and so be saved from sin and destruction and belong to Christ forever in the resurrection from the dead. Root River Church, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of that gospel that somebody died so that you can live forever in eternity, not of destruction, so that you can stand firm and strive forward in one spirit, together in one mind, advancing the gospel, not alarmed at things that come your way, not alarmed at the sicknesses, not alarmed at the things at work that you're going through, even though they're tough. But he says, unalarmed by the things that come your way, all because God has graced you with two things. He has graced you with faith and he has graced you with suffering, just as he graced Paul with suffering, just as he graced Jesus with suffering. The great part about our gospel is that we are rescued from that at the end when he comes. That no matter what I go through, like Paul says all in chapter one, no matter what I go through, I know that if I'm advancing the gospel, I'm doing what I'm called to do. At the end of the day, I will spend the rest of my life with him in safety. So Root River Church, what is a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? It's standing firm and striving forward, fearlessness and enduring suffering. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. I thank you that you sent your son to die for us. I thank you that we have this good news that we call the gospel. I thank you that we have Paul's example and his instruction and how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. Help us to understand the severity of your gospel, of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to be deeply rooted, deeply rooted in how you've called us to live. Help us, Lord, to not be swayed by the distractions of this world. Not to be swayed by the demands, Lord, and the pressures of this world. Because we know that we don't belong to it. Help us to see suffering as a gift of grace, as Paul did. And Lord, we know that's hard and suffering is, is a real thing. And I don't want to discount that, God. But I, I pray that in those times that we would be focused on you for your sake, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we leave Root River Church today, that we have taken what we talked about and we apply it to our hearts. Lord, we have brought ugly into this building. We do it day in and day out. And so God, I pray right now that your, your son's blood covers that and that we realize that and we leave our ugly here. Lord, I pray that you draw us close to you 
that we would see what you've done for us and in turn, not run toward impending doom, but run away from it. And as we see you rescue us from that impending doom, Lord, I pray that you would break our hearts to worship you for it because you deserve all of those things and more. There's not enough words in our mouths to fill the air with enough praise for you. Lord, I thank you for this word today. Help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.